Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It had been a crazy, busy week. And thousands, hundreds of thousands of people had made their way to the largest city in the country. And crowds had gathered and they were chanting and they were all dressed up in their favorite uh, team's garb. And they were, they were a difficult crowd for the authorities to handle. Uh, lots of uh, police, lots of, uh, lots of security to make sure that the crowd didn't get out of hand. And uh, the culmination of that week was, uh, was the, the big celebration, the gathering around food, the gathering with friends, the gathering with family, and, and the worship, <laughs> the worship of Yahweh. The, the crowds had gathered in Jerusalem and, and they had made their pilgrimage there as they had been told in the Torah to go every year at Passover and to gather. And every year at Passover, the people would remember the story of the first Passover when God saved his people, brought his people out of bondage, out of captivity in Egypt. And every year, the people would come dressed in blue and in white, and they would bring palm branches, and they would, they would sing Hosanna, Hosanna to God Most High. And Hosanna just means, God save us, God rescue us, raise up Messiah and bring about the king who will vanquish our enemies. Bring about the one who will bring an end to the Romans and to the oppression and to the bondage we find ourselves under. And that week had begun in a crazy way. Jesus had entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. The people had thrown their palm branches and many of them their cloaks on the road and they were singing Hosanna, Hosanna to the God most high. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who is the son of David. Many were proclaiming that Jesus was Messiah, that he was king of Israel and the king had come. The authorities were a little nervous. The Romans were anxious. The crowd was getting unruly, but it didn't go the way that most thought it would that week. I mean, Jesus knew the way it would turn out. He knew the direction all of the events were heading, uh, but the crowds, the crowds would turn on him. By the end of the week, they were chanting no longer Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. (laughs) Talk about a crazy week with public opinion. And it led to Jesus dying upon the cross. It led to his crucifixion. It led to his flogging, his beating, his being mocked and ridiculed. It led to him being led to Golgotha, the the hill of the skull led to him carrying the beam of his cross, but he'd been beaten so severely. He had lost so much blood by that time that they had to find somebody else 
to carry his cross for him. They marched him to the, to the hill of the skull. And there they laid him upon the crossbeam. They drove nails into his wrists and his feet. And crucifixion was meant to be a shaming and torturing experience. It was meant to, to humiliate you. Most crucifixion victims, in fact, the vast majority were crucified naked. And it was not any different with Jesus Christ. And they wouldn't die from blood loss. And they would not die from, uh, you know, just shock and awe. They died from suffocation. Because to take every breath, they had to push up on the nails in order to breathe, expand their lungs. Sometimes, if they were in a hurry, they would break the legs of the victims so that they would no longer be able to push up and take a breath. But this didn't happen in Jesus' case. Jesus died without needing his legs broken. And his mother was there. His mother had been there all week long. And she had seen the crowds who had gathered and who proclaimed him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And she had an inside track on the whole story. If you remember during Christmas time, of course, it wasn't Christmas time back then. But she had received word from the angel Gabriel that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, the coming king. She was going to see the king of kings. It was going to be her son. And I'm sure when he entered Jerusalem that week, she thought, it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm sure she thought, it's time. It's time for him to put off the strange, wonder-working, teaching, out-in-the-wilderness guy he's been. And it's time for him to come to town and to kick butt and take names. I'm sure she thought this is it. This is the time when the king of kings will come into his kingdom. This is the time when the son of God will have every knee bow down and every name, every tongue proclaim that he is Lord. And it didn't go anything like what she thought it would. By week's end, she found herself at the foot of a cross. And her naked boy. Bleeding, suffering, dying. She saw something that no parent needs to see. We've seen that throughout her life, Mary has surrendered herself to be God's servant. We've seen that she makes one painful sacrifice after another <laughs> in order to be the mother of the son of God. But none was any, none was greater than that day. And my guess is she was like the disciples in that they heard Jesus say he had to go to Jerusalem and die, but in three days he would rise again. And my guess is she probably didn't understand it. My guess is her experience was like any parent who's watching their son die. 
where you hope against hope that it won't end this way. You hope against hope that he will rise. It's just not sure. We are on the other side of this story. We read the crucifixion and go, wow, what a bummer day. But, you know, at least Easter happened. I mean, it's over quickly. What's the big deal? But imagine Mary's experience. Mary's is far more like our experience on a day-to-day basis. I mean, when we place ourselves in Mary's shoes at the foot of the cross, we see a woman who's like us. We see somebody who looks at Jesus and wonders, what is going on? We look at somebody who looks at Jesus and thinks, are you kidding me? This is how it's going? This is how you're going about things? When's the white horse show up? When does the guy with the sword come? And we are in such a similar situation as Mary. I'm sure many of you in places that you'd like to not be. If you are in a place you don't like, Mary is your friend. Mary is a model and example for you today. She is somebody who can, who can show us, who can point us the way of faith. I'm sure as she stood there on Mount Golgotha, she must have wondered how God's plan would move forward. This is the king of kings, God. The angel told me. This is your Messiah, God. How can he die? And not just die, but die a criminal's Death, a humiliating death upon the cross. I wonder what she would think if she came to a church and saw a cross on the wall of a church today. Probably turn her stomach a little bit. She'd struggle. It'd be like us having an electric chair on the wall. We'd think, huh? That's that's an implement of torture and death. That's what Mary saw. That's what she experienced. And how could she not wonder? God, how is your plan moving forward? And I know from my discussions with many of you, that's where you find yourself today. God, how is your plan moving forward? How is it moving forward in my life? I don't see it. I don't see you working. All I see is suffering and pain. Rejection and ridicule. All I feel is shame and guilt and pain and suffering. God, where are you? What is, how is your plan moving forward? This story, Jesus on the cross, I hope will help us. Jesus uttered seven things from the cross that day. And one of his sayings was directed to his mother. You see, in his culture, Jesus was the oldest son. And he had certain obligations as the oldest son. He needed to look after his mother, who most likely was a widow at this time. She's probably in her late 40s, perhaps early 50s. And Jesus is 33 or so. And her husband, who was probably 10 to 15 years older than she, is, 
is dead by now, most likely. He, he's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament uh, since Jesus was at the temple when he was 12. So most likely Mary's a widow. And I'm sure she's thinking, I am, I am so lost without my son. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to move forward. He's, he's the one who's been taking care of me. He's been one that's been watching out for me. And now what? And I'm sure she was just beside herself watching these events unfold. And I'm sure she was confused. And I'm sure she was grieving. I'm sure she just... The pain. Words are so shallow and pain is so deep. We see that Jesus hanging naked on the cross in John chapter 19. We read this. Verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. When I was a kid, I always thought they took his clothes and gave him different clothes. I didn't read too closely. Maybe I didn't want to think about it that way. Dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. He took his underwear. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. You read this passage and you see that Jesus went to the cross naked. The Romans did this to their victims because it was shameful. It was embarrassing. It was a way to make your, your victim feel defenseless and shamed. Anybody not want to come to church with clothes on today? You feel defenseless and vulnerable, especially on a day where when I woke up, it was zero outside. Nobody would think about coming to church when it's zero outside without clothes on. We're defenseless. We wouldn't get too far with the ice. We wouldn't get too far with the cold. And not only are we defenseless, but we're shamed. The only place in Scripture, the only place in human history that it said that somebody was naked and felt no shame was in Genesis When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and it said they were naked, but they felt no shame. The reason they felt no shame was because they were in perfect relationship with God. And when God peered into them, into the very depths of their being and saw who they really were, they had nothing to hide. And when Adam looked at Eve, he didn't see stuff she needed to hide. And when Eve looked at Adam, there was nothing for him to hide. But as soon as they fell away and they listened to the shining one, the serpent, and they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they realized they're naked and they felt shame. And they scrambled, they, they got some leaves and well, you can look at the kids picture Bible for the pictures. They felt ashamed. They realize there is something to hide. And that's really what shame is. Whenever we have something to hide, 
we feel shame. When we have thoughts that we'd rather not have others know, it leads to shame. When we have lustful thoughts, when we look at things on the TV or the magazines or the internet that we shouldn't see, and we would be embarrassed for ourselves, for somebody to see what we saw, it's a shame we feel. When, when we get upset with ourselves because we've put on a few extra pounds and so we wear baggier clothing, uh, we feel shame. When we are a perfectionist in our work and we are a workaholic and we just work, 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 and we avoid things in our lives, family, friends, issues, silence, we're hiding from shame. And we don't want anybody to know us. We don't want anybody to know what's deep down inside of us because we believe, we know that if they saw us for who we were, if they know us for who we are, they would reject us. So we hide. That's probably why at church we've always put on our Sunday's best. Because we came looking the part. If we came looking the part, then everybody would think, well, you have your act together. And God, of course, would look at you too and give you a gold star and pat you on the back and well done. Nice job. But we know, don't we? You feel it, don't you? You know that dressing up doesn't help. You you know that putting on a certain outfit, I mean, you might feel more comfortable and you might feel more presentable. Well, come on. You know that God sees through that. He's got x-ray vision. He sees the heart, the scriptures say. He sees your heart. He looks deep down inside of you. You have a lot to hide. You can't escape his glare. You can't escape. He's like the guy from Lord of the Rings, the eye that just looks out and sees all. You feel exposed, naked, ashamed. He's there on Saturday night watching what you're doing. He's there on Monday morning seeing how you're acting. He's there. He sees. He knows. This is just an hour of your life. We all have things that we want to hide. We all feel shame. And that's the first thing that Jesus is doing on the cross. He was stripped so that we might be clothed. He was stripped naked and he was shamed upon the cross so that we might be clothed by the righteousness of God. You see, that's salvation. As Tim Keller puts it, Jesus was stripped so we might be clothed. God in the Old Testament really talks about clothing his people. He actually started with Adam and Eve. He slaughtered an animal and he fashioned them clothing out of its hide so that their nakedness might be covered. And he's been clothing his people ever since. He's been clothing his people with righteousness. He's been covering their shame. And when you have a covering like God and like his righteousness, then you have no shame. You no longer feel ashamed because nothing can assail this righteousness from God because he's looked down deep inside of you and he sees you for who you are. And yet he still loves you. No one else can do that. Everyone else, if they knew, (laughs) if you knew me, you wouldn't have me as your pastor. 
I knew you, we'd kick you out of church. But since we know Christ, and since Christ knows us and loves us and clothes us in righteousness through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, there is now no shame. There is now no condemnation for those who are clothed in Christ Jesus. And Mary probably didn't get what was going on on the cross that day. She did see her son. And I'm sure she felt a tinge of shame for him. And I'm sure she was like any good mom wanting to just grab a cloak and cover her son. But she did not realize that Jesus in his nakedness was covering her. Are you clothed in Christ? Then we keep reading. It's one way that the plan of God moves forward is Jesus is stripped so that we might be clothed. We read this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Lots of Marys. In fact, 50% of the women back then were named Mary. (laughs) That'd be weird at school, right? Mary? Mary what? Which one? Especially when you're Mary, the wife of Clopas, and you're five, and you don't have that designation. When Jesus saw his mother there, Can you imagine what that must have looked like? When he saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, and that was John, he said to her, woman, (laughs) I'm sure he said it better than that, right? In fact, the Greek word for this could be rendered mom or mother. It's the same word that we see that he uses in the next line with, here is your mother. So maybe he said, mother, mom, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. You know, it's interesting. Jesus is making sure that as the eldest son he takes care of his duty to look after his mom even on the cross even in excruciating pain but he does more than that you see one of the ways that we see god's plan moving forward is that he's creating a new family he's creating a new family for his mother he's creating a new family for his disciple And later we see in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that Mary is present with the disciples in the upper room as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down on the day of Pentecost. As they're waiting for what Jesus promised would come. And we see that she's now become a disciple of Jesus. She's now become his child. And Jesus is creating a new family. And if you have accepted Christ, you are part of a new family. And this is so important. This is so important for us to understand. Because all of us, if we name the name of Christ, if we have faith in him, we are now brothers and sisters in Jesus. (laughs) You've got brothers and sisters, right? 
unless you're an only child. And then that old brother or sister thing's super confusing to you. My wife doesn't have any brothers and sisters. And so when our kids fight, she's like, what's wrong with them? They're broken. And I'm like, I'm surprised nobody's died yet. I, there hasn't been much blood so far. I, I was far worse than my brother and sister. The thing about family is you're stuck with them. You notice that? Like you try to get away sometimes. And you realize, right, that if you can't identify who the weird uncle or aunt is in the family, it's probably you. Right? And there's so many times that we get into conflicts in family. But we understand that a family's unconditional at some level. It's just, it's, it's who we're related to. You can't escape it. And those of us who have brothers and sisters, we, we understand that there are people in this world that we just won't get along with. There are some people in this world that we just don't see eye to eye. There are just some people in this world we don't like sometimes. But at the end of the day, she's my sister. She's my brother. He's my brother. <laughs> Sorry, Lee. And we realize that it's unconditional. And that same applies, that same thing applies to the church. There are people here you don't like. I know. There are people that you'd rather weren't here, perhaps. There are people that are from different economic statuses, different ways of life, different ways of seeing the world, different ways of interacting, different ethnic groups, different backgrounds. Heaven forbid, they might be from Yuma. Or a Raiders fan. Or today, a Seahawks fan. That's what you're supposed to do about the Pharisees in the New Testament, by the way. Thank you. But if they name the name of Christ, you see, one of the implications of this is that regardless of who they root for on Sunday, regardless of which side of the tracks they're from, regardless of the color of their skin, the, 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 the speech that comes out of their mouth, the, the amount of money that's in the bank, the job they have, the, the social sphere they're in, no matter what it is, if they name the name of Christ, you and they are brother and sister. Classism and racism has no space in church. If you are guilty of that, God help you. You know, English will be a minority language in heaven. White will be a minority skin color in heaven. Jesus is not white. He's Jewish. He's olive. He doesn't know your language it wasn't his heart language it's not what he spoke his first words were not mama and dada his first words were abba if you can't deal with that here on earth how will you deal with that in heaven how will you handle arabs who've come to know christ and Muslims 
who come to know Christ? How will you handle the dark continent of Africa and the millions who name the name of Christ? How will you handle the hundreds of millions of delete who name Christ as Savior? How will you handle that? If you can't handle that now, God help you. God is making a new family. If you name the name of Christ, they are your brothers. They are your sisters. And no matter what your position in life is, Jesus is telling us none of that matters. None of it matters. The only thing that matters is do you trust Christ? Do you have faith in him? At the end of the day, (laughs) we all die naked. At the end of the day, all the things that we are depending on and finding our our significance in, all the things that we are busy clamoring for and concerning ourselves with, at the end of the day, they're all idols. And they all will pass away. And they all will burn. And the only one that will be left is Jesus Christ. What do you do with him? You see, the crazy thing with this story I'm sure Mary and everybody else thought, well, that's the end of the story. I'm sure that Saturday, which the church historically is called Silent Saturday because nothing happened. Jesus' dead, cold body laid in a tomb that day. I'm sure everybody was bummed out of their minds. They didn't know. They didn't know Sunday was coming. Today, you might find yourself on Saturday. Today, you might find yourself where God's silent. He's not moving fast enough. He's abandoned you. He's left you. You don't know what to think. Jesus has been there on the cross. One of his sayings was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you feel forsaken, call out to him. Scream, yell, pound, rant. He's a big boy. He can take it. You see, Saturday gave way to Sunday. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If it weren't true, I would not have told you. You see, this book we read from was written by John, the disciple Jesus loved, who was standing there and watched it happen. He was also the second guy to run to the tomb. Actually, he was the first one to get there because he's faster than Peter. But he's the second one to enter. And he says of himself, I believed. You have an eyewitness account to this. And if you are a skeptic or a cynic, any color of law would see this as valid testimony. Good luck shooting that down someday. We see that God's plan moves forward even in the death of his son. We see that God's plan moves forward no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. We often find ourselves in places we don't want to find ourselves. But if we will trust God like Mary trusts God, we will see that God's plan moves forward. And we will also see That we are part of a new family. 
Man, we have nothing to hide. I challenge all of us today. Embrace this family. Dive into it. Be a part of it. Yeah, there's some of us who are weird around here. That's okay. You're weird too in your own way. It's like John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. You have nothing to hide. Dive in. Be part of this family. Become part of the brothers and sisters who gather here at First Christian Church. Don't hold back. Your Christ-likeness depends on it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Mary. Thank you that we were able to see through her that uh, you do not spare us difficult things. But often difficult things are your will for us. And that we just need to sacrifice. Often you do not act the way we expect or would like. And we need to have faith. So we pray, Father, that for those who find themselves in difficult places today, you would give them the faith to believe and to trust. And that through the death of Christ and his work on the cross, by taking on our shame in his nakedness and clothing us with his righteousness, and by giving us a new family to be part of, we would all understand just how deep and wide and vast is the love of God in Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Be part of this family. Do not be ashamed. Do not be afraid. Amen.